Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I remember when I was younger hearing the story of stone soup. Some of you may have heard this or another version of it before. This is the version that I heard when I was a little boy. A poor monk wanders from town to town with an empty pot and a ladle. As he goes to this town and to that town, he encounters all sorts and conditions of humanity and he asks them for for something to eat. In one town, he asks for a crust of bread. Uh, In another town, he asks for table scraps. In another town, he asks for a piece of meat and so on and so on. And time after time, town after town, he is ignored and sent away empty-handed. Finally, the monk makes his way to a very poor town, and he announces to, to all the people that later on that evening he will host a feast and serve the most amazing meal, stone soup. All of the people are curious, and so they slowly start to gather that night to see what the monk is talking about. The monk starts a fire. He places his large pot on the fire. He fills it with water, and then out of his bag he pulls a large stone, and he drops it into the simmering pot. The monk occasionally stirs the pot with his ladle, and after a while, he he takes his ladle and takes a a taste and declares that, that it's good, but it's not quite ready. It needs a pinch of salt and pepper, the monk says, and he, of course, doesn't seem to have any in his bag. Someone from the town runs home, grabs some salt and pepper, comes back, and they toss that into the pot. A little while later, after some more stirring and after some more simmering, the monk takes his ladle, takes another taste, and says it's it's good, but it's not like quite, quite ready. I think, I think what would make this stone soup even better is some onions. And so off another villager runs and goes to her home to gather some onions, and then she comes back and throws them into the pot. And this routine repeats itself over and over again with various people going to get carrots and hunks of beef and garlic and potatoes and so on until the, the pot is just filled to the brim and the people are are salivating with anticipation at the smell of this delicious soup. A large table is set in the town square. Bowls and spoons are brought from many different houses, and one by one, one after another, the stomachs of all the hungry townspeople are filled as the monk goes around ladling out his delicious stone soup. I was, I was thinking about that story as I started to read our gospel lesson for this morning. We're in Mark's gospel account, and it it helps to back up just a bit to remember where we've been so that we can better understand what's happening in today's reading. Three weeks ago, if you remember, we were at the end of the first chapter of Mark, and we heard the story of Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Two weeks ago, the last Sunday before the beginning of the Lenten season, we jumped forward to the ninth chapter of Mark to hear the story of Jesus's transfiguration on the mountain. Last week, We went back to the beginning, to the first chapter of Mark, where we heard about Jesus' baptism and how he was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness for his 40-day pilgrimage. And now this week we're back in the eighth chapter, uh, hearing about what happens right before Jesus' transfiguration. We go from Mark 1 to Mark 9 and then back to Mark 1, and now, 
and now to Mark 8. It can be difficult to follow this story at times, and one can suffer from some biblical whiplash if you're not careful. And, and next week, just to confuse just to confuse all of us, the lectionary compilers take us to John's gospel account, and we'll read that gospel account for the next three Sundays of the Lenten season. And to make matters even more confusing today, the story that we are hearing from Mark chapter 8 is, is only part of the story. We don't hear what happens right before this story where Jesus excoriates Simon Peter for rejecting the predictions that Jesus makes about his own death and crucifixion. The verses that come right before this, and all of you will remember this, have Peter proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and then Peter in turn, Jesus in turn praises Peter. That's what's happening immediately before our passage today. Today, after Jesus predicts his own arrest and suffering, and after he rebukes Peter with very harsh words, get behind me, Satan, he says, Jesus then turns to his disciples, he turns to to all of us, and he tells us how we are called to live our lives. If, If any of you want to become my followers, he said, then you must deny yourselves, you must take up your cross, and you must follow him. We tend to hear these words that Jesus speaks today, I think, as a, as a directive to us as, as individuals. My suffering, my pain, my burden, uh, I'm meant to bear those things, to take up those crosses and to carry those things with patience, trusting that they will make me better or stronger in some way, trusting that they will help us to draw closer to God during that period of, of long suffering and endurance. And I don't think that's a bad way of hearing what Jesus says to us today. For many of us, maybe for some of you here this morning, the suffering that you have experienced at some point in your life, maybe even suffering that you're experiencing right now, is a a suffering that's helping you to see life in a new way, to see the world in a new way, to see your relationship with God in a new way. Maybe it's an illness, a, a strained relationship with another person. Maybe it's even anxiety at the workplace. For For some of us, those things, as we go through them, as we endure them, as we bear those crosses, they make our faith stronger. Thomas Merton, the great Roman Catholic monk and writer of the 20th century, once wrote that that we're all of us, each one of us, a body of broken bones in the process of being recast and made new. For some of us, endurance in the midst of great suffering, bearing those crosses, is that very process of being made new. And yet we know that for others of us, great suffering can also mean a loss of faith. It can be a time where we feel very distant from our Lord and from our God. Think of John of the cross as he writes about his long, dark night of the soul. Suffering can be an intense time of anguish, of despair, where we, as as the psalmist writes, cry out, how How long, O Lord, how long will you forget about me? How long will you hide your face from me? We might even respond to intense suffering in the same way as Jesus did when he's nailed to his cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking up our crosses can make us feel very alone at times, and perhaps you have or are experiencing today that very loneliness. Perhaps You don't hear these words that Jesus speaks today uh, as something that is a welcome invitation for you. You're ready to, to lay down your cross, to put it aside and to find relief. I wonder, though, if 
if Jesus might also be telling us something different in this passage from Mark. I wonder if Jesus might also be calling us to focus not not only on our own crosses, but on the crosses that our friends and neighbors are carrying, crosses that have been placed on their lives. Might we, as we hear again in this country stories of violence and brutality, be called by Jesus to share in and to walk alongside and to offer each one of us in our own ways whatever we can so that we can help to carry the crosses of those who are in great pain. William Sloan Coffin, who was the, the longtime pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City, once said that the, the work of the people of God is always meant to be work that is deeply embedded in a cry of pain. He says that the people of God, that is you and me, we're to work to alleviate that pain by sharing in it and by doing all that we can to offer deliverance. I told I told the members of the Latrobe Fellowship, our 20s and 30s group here at St. John's Church earlier this month, that a, that a question that I think we should, each one of us, ask ourselves regularly as we think about our calling and our work and our vocation as people of God is, is this, what breaks my heart? When I, when, when we look out at the world around us, what is it that breaks my heart? What breaks your heart? Whatever it is that breaks your heart, Go, go and try to bear that burden, work to alleviate that pain, go out and help to carry that cross. What is it that breaks your heart? Take some time in the next few days to think about that, and then, and then go and find some ways to work on that issue. And, and here's the thing, if, it's something, if there's something that breaks your heart, it's likely breaking the heart of someone else too, and so there will likely be others, maybe others who are very well organized, who are working to make a difference on that particular issue. Go out Go out and work with them. What is it that breaks your heart? If you turn on the news and see stories about refugees and migrants worried about their future fleeing violence in their, in their native lands, come and, come and join the refugee committee here at St. John's Church, a group that is working very, very hard on this issue. Or maybe you're concerned with, with education, the education that our young people are receiving in this city. Get in touch with some of our parishioners who are working with communities and schools or with the Bishop Walker School for Boys. They will gladly tell you how you can make a difference in a young person's life by volunteering, by helping to review report cards, by mentoring young boys and young girls, by donating your money. What is it, what is it that breaks your heart? We're all brokenhearted again, I, I, I think, and I know by the news that came out of, of Parkland, Florida a week and a half ago. Seventeen students and teachers killed, killed in a school, a place that should be hallowed and safe and free from gun violence. It's, it's an awful thing, and it would be awful if this was the first time that this has happened in this country, but, but it's not. Sadly, it's happened far too many times, and not just in schools, but in, in places of worship, in movie theaters, outside of grocery stores, on baseball fields, and even on, on military bases. And I, I, know, I know that you all are brokenhearted by this, just as I am, because in the past 10 days, I've heard uh, from many of you. I heard from many of you last week before and after church services. I've received impassioned phone calls and emails from you. I even received a handwritten letter, which is a very rare thing these days, uh, in my office this past week from one of you asking me how we as a church are going to respond. You are brokenhearted, you are angry, and you want to know what we are going to do. 
I had the opportunity to have co- coffee with, with our bishop, Mary and Buddy, this past weekend, and much of our conversation over coffee was about this, this very issue. Bishop Buddy uh, is one of several Episcopal bishops who has formed the group uh, Bishops United Against Gun Violence, and they, they work to serve as a resource for the Episcopal Church on this, this issue. And she and I talked about how we, when people from all over this country come to this city on March 24th for the for the March for Our Lives, which is that march that's been planned in response to this shooting in Parkland. We talked about how we want our churches to march with all of those young people. And we also talked about the ways that St. John's Church can show hospitality to those who are marching. We are, in many ways, the Episcopal Church in this city that is on the front lines when marches and other events like this take place. And so we have a unique opportunity and responsibility to be present. And so if you're interested in thinking about how St. John's can be present on March 24th, but also how we can respond to to gun violence in this country, reach out to me. Send me an email. Let me know, and we will start a conversation in this parish. Your church wardens and some of the members of your vestry, they've already been in touch with me, and so we're already beginning those conversations. If our hearts are breaking, as I know they are, then I think we should take that as a call from God to respond, a call from God to act. As the former dean of the National Cathedral once said, the gun lobby is no match for the cross lobby. I was watching an interview the other day with one of the students from Stoneman Douglas High School, and at the end, the interviewer said to the young man, I I know that you've heard this from a lot of people, but we're praying for you. And the young man responded very respectfully. He responded by saying, thank you. But now please take action. Please act. Jesus speaks to us today and tells us to to take up our crosses, to share in each other's pain, to unite ourselves to the sufferings of others in the world. And we, we may not, each one of us on our own, be able to bring about relief, but when we come together, when we offer all that we have, then we begin to make a difference. Ask yourself in the coming days, what is it that breaks my heart? And then don't be afraid to respond. Don't wait to act. For like, like Jesus, each time we pick up our cross, we also draw closer to the promised gift of resurrection, the gift of peace and new life. I love the prayer that St. Francis maybe or maybe not prayed. Some of you probably know it. It's in our prayer book, and I I want to end with that prayer because I think it's a really wonderful prayer, and it speaks to to the work that we're called to do when we we take up our crosses. We're called to be peacemakers and wound healers and life givers, and I want to end, uh, end with that prayer. In fact, actually, I want us all to pray it together. Take out the prayer book in front of you, and it's on page 833, and we'll say that prayer together as a way to end the sermon. Together, let us pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, 
It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.